Hey, everybody out there, this is Falco from Wicked Mariah, and you are rocking with Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, bringing you yet another week of Focus on Metal. So this week, in fact, uh, for the next two weeks, got a very special guest, very cool. We have on producer Jason Slater. So Jason uh, just happens to be a listener of the show, and uh, I don't know how everything went down in the background between Richie and Jason, but uh, what ended up happening is uh, almost two hours of really awesome audio all about his time working with Queensryche. Not just working with Queensryche, but that that era that uh, everyone is like, oh yeah, those albums. So uh, Jason was actually the producer on that, and uh, as we'll find out in the interview, he was actually a whole lot more than just that. And actually, at the end of the interview, when uh, Richie and him are just chit-chatting before they hang up and he actually talks about the fact that, you know, one of the things he likes about the show is that we don't just do these ordinary bullshit, you know, love everything kind of interviews. But, uh, you know, the stuff that's on the show is stuff that people like him actually would love to hear. So uh, he's kind of giving back and talking all about that, letting everybody know uh, a lot of uh, really the behind the scenes, nuts and bolts of what went on in that era. We'll be talking Mind Crime 2 and American Soldier this week. And then next week, we'll be delving into uh, Take cover dedicated to chaos and uh the much talked about queensrike in uh, air quotes frequency unknown richie and i refer to that uh, era with frequency unknown as being which version of queensrike is actually on the bill at the venue tonight unknown so i have to uh, you know give some big props to jason for his candor and his honesty and uh just again an amazing couple of hours of chat that richie had with jason and uh, we're going to kick that off right now. Hello. So Jason Slater. How you doing? How you doing, Jason? Hanging in. Hanging in. <laughs> Monday morning blues. You know, I, I, I know myself very well, and uh, I just ended up staying up all night because I knew I wouldn't wake up at 9 in the morning. <laughs> oh, no. Am I screwing you up? <laughs> no, not at all. I just, I, I had work to do, so I just, you know, I finished it like... 5.30 or 6 and I was just like <laughs> if I put my head if I put my head down now it's game over <laughs> yeah you're not gonna I'll be calling going what the fuck <laughs> so do you want to get into it yeah let's do it yeah so so Jason how big a Queensryche fan were you before you got offered a job to do Minecrime 2 oh in, in, a huge huge fan I think my third record was uh you know their first ep was lady wore black on it yeah i mean i you know i, I bought that and i think i bought what judas priest record was it uh i forget the name of it um but yeah okay <laughs> uh a huge fan you know kind of up until up until empire you know like after empire kind of just maybe grew out of it, you know, uh, you know, I was listening to Exodus and things like that at that point. Okay. Um, so it just wasn't as appealing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so did you know Jeff or any of the guys in the band before you got the, the job for mind crime too? I didn't. It was, a, it was a very weird situation. So we had the same travel agent <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I had a band snake for the conspiracy and we were looking for a tour um, our travel agent ended up introducing me to Susan Tate, Jeff's wife, who was managing the band. And we ended up going out and opening up a, a short tour for him. And during the tour, you know, I was talking to Jeff and was like, what are you going to do with mind crime? <laughs> you know, you, you, you gotta, you, you gotta do a sequel to that thing. Uh-huh. Um, I guess they've been thinking about it and talking about it for a while. Um, and for whatever reason, that stuck in his head. Um, I got a phone call from him probably three or four months later asking me if I wanted to work on it. Okay. And I was, I, I was blown away. You know, like, <laughs> the last thing on earth I thought that would be happening would be that I'd be getting a call from Jeff Tate to work on Minecrime 2. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, no, there's, there's a... 
you tell you asking him to make a sequel and him asking you to work on it. There was obviously something there. Um, but did he look at your past work? Did he just like you as a guitar player? Because how how do you know it'd work if you actually wrote music with him? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it was was that you know he he'd heard a lot of stuff that I'd written for my band. Um, you know, I think with them since Degarmo left. That it, it, you know, it's very important that they had a producer that can kind of get everybody's ideas together and, and can write songs. And so I think it was kind of more just Jason can write songs. He's a good, decent, good engineer. <laughs> um, and and you know, I don't think they knew of me as a producer at all. Um, and that record, you know, I, I was over the moon about, you know, producing a Queen Drake record, I got out there and, you know, quickly found out that nobody in the band really wanted to make a record. <laughs> um, and so it, it was, you know, it was really a struggle. Um, I don't think it would have gotten done without Mike Stone. He's kind of the unsung hero in all of it. Yeah. Um, he and I were, you know, we spent... I think around six months uh, living in Jeff's basement where I had assembled the studio and just writing like crazy and, and, you know, trying to get as much of the record done as we could down there. Yeah. Now, um, did you know straight away that Michael Scott and Eddie weren't really going to write anything on this album? No, you know, um, you know, for me at the time, you know, I felt like they just weren't interested. And, you know, over the years, it's kind of become very apparent that, you know, there was, I hate to say trickery, but there was, you know, some amount of, of I think Jeff wanting to do as much of it on his own as he could um, and not... They're 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 a strange band, you know. Um, they they you know, like uh, Mike Wilton's into like really really heavy music, and you know that's what he kind of brings to the party. And I think that you know Jeff is maybe not so much of a fan of that, <laughs> and so um, you know it it just it was very from the from the onset it was very much like. Um, okay, you work in the basement next week, uh, go to, go to Mike's house and work with him for a couple of days. And if something comes out of it, great. And if not, uh, that's okay too. And so, you know, nobody was ever in the same room at the same time. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's, you know, it, that's a, you know, when you come from a band that, you know, uh, has made very successful records and, you know, you're used to working in big studios together and doing it as a team. Um, you know, kind of coming into a situation like that, you know, you just it, it's hard to it's hard to kind of acclimate to that to be creative without having those same people around to, to bounce ideas off of that you've had your whole life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Was there I mean, those, was there any talk, of, sorry. Um was there any talk at all? of um, maybe involving Chris DeGarmo in the songwriting because he was an integral part of the first Minecraft album? Oh, I think they probably reached out to him, you know, before every record they've made. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they'd be foolish not to, you know I mean? To me, Chris was probably, to me, he was, he was the producer in the band. You know, just from seeing the way that things work. Um, you know, there's a song called, uh, shit, uh, murder mm-hmm. on mind crime too. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, that was a, that was a Mike Wilton riff. It's a, it's a rhythm and a riff I would have never come up with, but you know, what he provided was the first four bars of the song <laughs> and the rest of that, you know, was you know, me taking his his idea and actually turning it into a song. I think that's what, what Chris did largely in the band. Um, I, you know, all of those guys are 
are really musical and, and great players. Um, I think the only person that that actually delivered a complete song was uh, Eddie Jackson. Okay. Um, and, and he had, I think he had like five or six songs. Um, we used one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it definitely was a, you know, I think Jeff had a, a, a vision of what he wanted. Um, I don't know that, you know, yeah, you know I, I just don't know that including everyone was part of that vision. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think that, um, the other three guys didn't want to work on it because it was going to be mind crime and they didn't care really what the music sounded like. You know, I, I think that, I think that overall they thought it was a bad idea. Um, just because, you know, how do you live up to mind crime one, <laughs> you know, uh, especially without Chris, you know, like that, that's a, that's a very, very tall order. Um, you know, me being a fan, I did, you know, everything I could, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's a difficult one. And, you know, up until the record was done and they heard it, you know, none of them really had anything good to say. <laughs> uh, I, I think, um, I think Wilton actually did like an, an interview for the guitar magazine or something, you know, saying that he, he wasn't involved and he hadn't heard it and whatever. And and then once he heard it, somebody called and and got all of that retracted. Wow! <laughs> because he liked some of it. Um, you know, yeah. my assistant yep. at the time, uh, this guy Mitchell Doran, you know, played all the solos on there, and he's an incredible guitar player. <laughs> okay. So when the guys decided not to play on the record, and you started getting into it. And you, you you really knew that they really were not really going to be involved. Did you think of them? Um, ah, fuck this! I'm walking. It's not going to be a full Queensrÿch album. Well, you know, it wasn't that cut and dry. You know, so kind of, you know, what happened? The way it worked was, you know, Mike Stone and I were getting songs together, and then, you know, the powers that be would book a week of studio time or something for Scott to come and play drums. Um, but, you know, Scott, you know, he wasn't given the opportunity to spend enough time with the songs to do what he normally does. And so, you know, we rushed through getting drums that, you know, just kind of weren't fully realized. And, and you know, that's, that's where kind of in hindsight... You know, at the time, I was just frustrated. I was like, what's the matter with these guys? They can't show up. They can't learn, you know, the whole thing. But in hindsight, you kind of see how it how it moved. You know, the same thing happened with Mike Wilton. You know, we, we rented a studio out uh, for like a week and a half uh, to have him come and play the guitar parts. He thought he was coming to write. <laughs> and the songs were already written, and Jeff had put in rough vocals on him. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those things where I was like, Mike, you know, <laughs> we can't rewrite the songs. We have to be done. <laughs> so if, if, if you haven't learned this stuff, we've got to figure something out. And so, I, 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 you know, for me, it just felt like they were really kind of put at a disadvantage. Okay. Is um, it, um, We're kind of... Gosh, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm talking shit, but it... it, 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 it to me, it felt like, or it feels like now that they were they were kind of set up to fail. Okay. Now you you said like Susan Tate was managing the band, and you're dealing with Jeff, yeah. right? Now if you have an issue, yeah. if you have an issue, was that kind of awkward to go to Susan because Susan was Jeff's wife? Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's that thing where where you know I have to keep a a working relationship with Jeff to get the record done. Um, and you know, I, 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 I couldn't be as blunt with Susan as I would be with somebody else. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was living in their house. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there, there was a bit of tiptoeing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it was it was definitely a unique. You know, I never made a record like that. You know, normally it's you get the band together in a room, you do pre-production, you you know go through the songs, you get them as tight as you can, uh, you know, and then you all go into a studio and you make a record. <laughs> yeah, and th- this was, you know, very much just kind of. Uh, sit down and make a record and, you know, we'll give it to the guys. <laughs> mm. um, you know, for me, I was excited to work with Queensryche. You know, like, all of those dudes are amazing musicians. Um, and, you know, getting them in a room and recording and, and doing what they'd always done was the way I wanted to make a record. Okay. Um, but, you know, I kind of, you know, you get you get hired by you know the band or or the label. Um, um, you kind of get dictated to by the manager, yeah. <laughs> Who, who's in control of the purse strings? You know, a lot of records I would I would get the entire budget, uh, and I could make the record however I wanted. Uh, you know, with Queensrÿche, I didn't even know what the budget was. <laughs> wow. If I wanted to, you know. Like when we recorded the, uh, Mike Wilton, it was, you know, can I get Mike in the studio for a little while and record guitars? <laughs> um, and I think that they, they were really hoping that we'd be able to make that entire record in the basement. Um, um, during the time that we're supposed to record vocals and mix, we ended up coming back to the Bay Area uh, to my studio and we pretty much almost re-recorded everything. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the basement sounded like shit, you know, so I brought that stuff into a real studio and was just like, this ain't working. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the original album has such a, it's got a pristine sound on it from when it came out. I think it was in 88. An, an incredible sound for the time. And, you know, I, I, I rented all the same equipment that was used <laughs> on that record, uh, you know, it, and, and did what I could. It was just time was so tight, you know, like it, it uh, I mean, no excuses. I'm proud of that record, you know, like <clears throat> for me, knowing what went into it and, and the constraints and things like that, you know, <clears throat> yeah. I'm really proud of the way it ended up. Um, it could have been a disaster, yeah. <laughs> but, but we did finish. And, you know, like I got to fucking record Ronnie James Dio. You know? Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Um, I've had, a, I've had a lot of guys on have worked with Ronnie and Ronnie doesn't warm up, just goes in and sings. So like, was that like a one take two take deal with him? <laughs> it was pretty incredible. So he listened to, uh, Jeff's, melody so Jeff had sung the verse and Jeff gave him the sheet with the lyrics on it and he went into the vocal booth and you know said you know we'll just hit, hit record you know maybe something will work I don't know that first take could have been kept wow. <laughs> he insisted on doing two more and I kept the second one uh, no punch-ins no anything I mean it's wow. just a straight up performance yeah Wow. I think that, you know, I, I spent more time setting up the microphone than he spent singing. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you get a chance to, like, talk to him for a while? Was there anything in particular you wanted to ask him about? Yeah, I, you know, we, we hung out, you know, like, uh, we were planning on it taking a day, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it took about a half hour. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I've always been a huge fan and, and, you know, like growing up, my mom was, you know, into this dude, Bobby Darren, and I knew that, that Ronnie actually played trumpet in Bobby Darren's band, uh, you know, forever ago. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're just shooting the shit about music stuff, you know? Yeah. And just a very, very, you know, articulate and kind dude, you know, like he had all the time in the world to, to hang out and talk. And that was, that was pretty incredible for me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, just a quick spoiler that uh, next week, 
kind of delve a little bit more into uh, some of the Ronnie James Dio stuff with Jason. Just kind of didn't fit with the stream of thought that Richie was on this week, but uh, Richie being Richie, always hunting down the story and trying to find out the things that he feels listeners are going to want to know. He had a nice follow-on chat with Jason as part of uh, next week's show and uh, talks a little bit more about Dio and all that good stuff. So uh, don't worry, little Dio this week, a little Dio next week. Now, how much of the album did Michael, Eddie, and Scott play on? Five percent, twenty-five percent. Well, shit. Eddie played bass on a couple songs. Um, there's a song called "Hostage," mm-hmm. and that song was started before I was involved. Okay, and that that has. Uh, all of them playing on it. Okay. And that's about it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Mike, Mike Stone played all of, all of the guitars other than the solos. Um, I played pretty much all the bass. Um, and we did the drums really weird, you know, like <laughs> there, there was a, a period of time that I couldn't get a drummer. And so, some of those drums got put down one drum at a time. <laughs> so I'd go out and I'd play the kick and the snare, and then I'd overdub the hi-hat, and then I'd do tom fills, and then I'd do cymbals. <laughs> oh, my God. Because I'm, I'm not a drummer, you know, but we had to get it done. Yeah. So they didn't want to bring in a session drummer? Well, you know, we ended up doing it, but I couldn't, I couldn't get approval to get a budget <laughs> to hire a dude, uh, you know, as quick, as quick as I needed to, you know, by the time that I realized that, you know, we had a, a serious problem here. Um, you know, I, I, I think that shit, we might've had four or five days left to finish. And I was putting drums on. Wow. So I, I was basically replacing, you know, program drums. Okay. So everything was done. You did the drums last. Well, you know, so, so we built the songs over, uh, drums that I programmed. And so, you know, everything was recorded over that, but I didn't want to put out a clean track record with programmed drums. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, there's, there's, I think there's three or four songs with the, you know, piece together drum performance. And then uh, a drummer named Matt Lucich came in. Yeah. He's a huge, huge clean track fan. Uh, and, uh, he came through and blasted through a bunch of songs. <laughs> okay. And was, was Jeff there the whole time? Um, you know, part of, you know, he, he went back to, to Washington kind of while I was doing nuts and bolts stuff. Cause we were, you know, we were working 20 hour days and, uh, you know, Mitch Doran uh, was assisting me. Another guy, Dave Shelton was assisting me. And, you know, we would just kind of, you know, I would sleep and one of them would edit. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then I'd get back up, but it was, you know, we didn't leave the studio for weeks. We were, we were literally walking around in bathrobes <laughs> in the chambers wow. for, for, yeah, for almost a month. Wow. Um, it was an experience. <laughs> yeah. is, um, is Jeff tough to work for? Not really. You know, he, he's, he's, a pretty, he's a pretty easy dude. Um, it's, it's more that it's more that the situation with them is always complicated. You know, it's never a, it just doesn't work like anything else I've experienced. You know, I think I've made like shit, 60 something records at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them kind of follow a certain routine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and they just don't. And so it, it, you know, it makes it a lot harder than it needs to be. Um, but Jeff is, you know, Jeff is pretty even, you know, like I've actually, I've never seen him get angry. <laughs> um, I've never seen him get particularly happy either, but you know, there's, there's definitely been some, some stressful times where, yeah. you know, and I was losing my, sh- I was losing my shit and, you know, <laughs> he was the voice of reason. Wow. Uh, which is, which is kind of, you know, the, the whole, the whole thing about, 
you know, when the band split up and all of that stuff, that, that really kind of threw me because it's not the dude I know, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I spent a lot of time with them, you know, you know, I think there's been four records that I, I basically lived at their house while I made. Okay. And tracking, uh, him, tracking him now singing. Is he, is he yeah. like Ronnie James Dio, like one or two takes or is he really hard on himself? He, he, he's probably one of the most critical people of his own performances I've ever worked with. You know, like he would sing something and I would go, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> and, you know, he, he would go, there's a problem with the enunciation of this word. <laughs> and he'd go back and get it. Um, you know, it's, it, for him, it's, I think it's, you know, it's, it's not even so much about, I think he's so far past, you know, having to worry about hitting the notes that it's more kind of about putting the right feeling or whatever he's trying to convey behind it. Uh-huh. And so it's, it's one of those things that, that kind of only he knows, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I'll hear it and I'll, you know a great take to me uh but it didn't have whatever it was he was looking for in it yeah and does he come in does he come in with finished lyrics or is he constantly rewriting the lyrics you know he he will sometimes edit but very rarely um almost everything he writes is some kind of story or something and so once that part of it's done you know he i don't think he really wants to change that i think like you know, whatever, whatever that meaning and purpose was to him is there. And, and, you know, he's not going to, he spends a good amount of time putting those things together. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the first album, the centerpiece of the album, the mind crime album, the sweet sister Mary, that's like 11 minutes long. And there's no epic track on this one. Was that deliberate? Yeah. You know, it was another one of those things where, where we were sitting down talking about, you know, how we were going to approach it. You know, we needed it to have a common thread, but we didn't want to make a replica. Um, and you know, some things you just don't fuck with. You know, like yeah, <laughs> that's an, that's another one of those things where it's like, do we want to spend a couple months trying to beat that <laughs> and fail? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it just didn't. You know, there, there was a period of time where, you know, me being a fan, you know, I wanted to lay out Minecraft 2 the way that Minecraft was, 1 was. Um, but, you know, you, you quickly just realized that, you know, not only was it a, a different group of people making it, but it was a place and a time and the stars aligned and an incredible record was made. And, you know, you, you can't you can't count on that kind of luck. Yeah. Um, so it really just kind of became, you know, Jeff had the had the story written out, and you know, Stoney and I would write songs, and Jeff would hear something that would fit with part of the story or something, and we'd finish that one. And so you know, we, we wrote probably shit, probably wrote thirty five songs or something. Wow. Yeah, you know, cause it's it's difficult for me anyways to have somebody kind of explain a story and then try and write a piece of music that's going to fit with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it just became a lot a lot easier just to crank out songs and go do any of these grab you, are they going to work? Um, you know, there's a couple, a couple spots where, you know, a lot of time was spent trying to you know, write something that would would fill in a part of the story. Um, but, you know, there, there's so many, there's so many alternate versions of songs for that record. It, it's incredible. <laughs> do, you, do you think that the, the, the bed, some of the best stuff was left off it? Um, you know, I think we're, we were, you know, we were pretty objective about it and, you know, kind of brought other people into the room and, you know, didn't tell them what we did and just played them stuff and said, what do you think? Just to make sure we we're on the right track. Cause after working on songs for that long and 
recording them over and over again and all of that stuff, you know, it's hard to tell the forest from the trees at a certain point. (laughs) Yeah. So Um, how how soon after the album came out were you waiting to be called? Or were you waiting for the call? uh, Who played on the album? You know, so that record was weird in that, you know, I made an agreement um, with the band that I would give percentage of my publishing to everybody in the band. And mostly that was so that, you know, when that information came out, uh, you know, it wouldn't look like I wrote the whole thing by myself. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, as, as much as, you know, not being able to have them in a room and record with them was a drag. I have a lot of respect for that, you know, just as musicians and, and, you know, like with Eddie as a person, you know, like he's a really good dude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last, last thing I wanted to do, you know, was make mine crime too. And, you know, have it be a, a Jason and Jeff record in everybody's eyes, you know, they kind of let the cat out of the bag <laughs> to some extent. Uh, before anyone else did, but then they they pulled back. I don't think Scott ever did, but but you know Mike definitely did. Yeah. Um, and you know that stuff was floating around, and then the lawsuit happened, and I kind of got drug into that thing. And <laughs> you had to say what you had uh, to say. Yeah, I mean it was you know I wasn't gonna lie, you know, and, and it it was one of those things where it wasn't. It wasn't spiteful. I respect those guys and I like them, uh, but that's what happened, you know. Yeah. And you know, Jeff and I aren't incredibly tight. We don't speak, you know. <laughs> they basically call me, uh, you know, usually about two weeks before they need something. Um, that's, that's the only time I ever hear from. I, I haven't spoken to Jeff in several years. Okay. Um, you know, so it wasn't a thing where. I was taking sides. It was kind of a thing where there's a lot of really screwed up things being said. <laughs> uh, and this is what happens, you know, and I'm being asked by attorneys, you know, what was the sequence of events and who participated in what? And, you know, it, it, it didn't make any sense for me not to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. And in the end, I don't think it really affected anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that... I don't know. In, in my opinion, they should have broken up 20 years ago and got back together <laughs> and, 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 and reaped the benefits of, <laughs> of doing it because it just doesn't seem like it seems like since, since Chris left, it just seems like things have just really always been at odds. Yeah. Well, I think if you're a fan and I'm a fan, right, I'm on you, you walk with them. I'm on the outside looking in. I always yeah. felt that it was Chris's band up to here in the Now Frontier, and then when he left, yeah. it, it became Jeff's band. Yeah, I mean, very much so. And I mean, and when your wife's managing the band on top of that, yeah, and you know, and your your kids are running the merchandise company, and <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just it, it. I don't know. For me, it doesn't make sense to let business get that incestuous. Um, it never works. You know, at some point, you kind of got to look at the, the common good, I guess, and, and go, would I feel comfortable if I was on the other side of this? And I, I think it just kind of got to a point where those dudes just weren't comfortable anymore, you know? Yeah. So when you got when you got the call to do the follow-up, American Soldier, were you able to put your foot down on certain things that didn't happen with mine crime? Yeah, I mean, I was an asshole on that record. So in between, <laughs> in between that, I in between that I, I mixed um, Mind Crime at the Moor. It was like a live DVD thing. Yeah, a surround sound thing. Uh-huh. And I don't know who engi- I don't know who engineered it, but you know, they basically set the microphones up, pressed record on Pro Tools, and walked away. And everything was recorded distorted and unusable. Wow. <laughs> And so we had to go back in and recreate Mind Crime at the Moor. <laughs> what do you mean in the studio? Uh, yeah, <laughs> the whole band, had, the whole band had to go in and re-record the whole thing. Well, 
the band wasn't very interested in doing that. <laughs> oh, you, you you want to do it again? Yep. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and and so you know, by the time that we got by the time we got to American Soldier, <laughs> um, you know, you know, first and foremost, I I knew that the band did, really didn't want to work with me, and you know, I, I got the call, and between the times I got the call and when I started. I started getting calls from friends who were producers saying, so dude, why aren't you doing the clean track record? Uh, I, you know, I got the call. I think I am. Well, they called my manager <laughs> to see if I was available. And so they were, you know, they were trying to find somebody else that could do those jobs. Um, and I think it just came down to, it's hard to find somebody who can play right engineer and produce. Um, <laughs> and so, that record ended up being me and Kelly Gray. Kelly's a, a, a great producer in his own right. Yeah, he did. And, um, I think he did Q2K. Yeah, he's done so much shit. Yeah. <laughs> he, you know, he's he's a great producer and a great engineer. The problem is, is that it's incredibly difficult to have two producers. <laughs> and so, you know, he kind of, you know, he has his way of doing things, and I have my way of doing things. And, you know, we spent a lot of time butting heads. We're good friends now. I, I, I like the guy a lot, but, you know, it was tough. And so, you know, I kind of came in, wrote songs, did the production part, um, and left as quick as I could. Uh, let Kelly mix it. <laughs> Got the hell out of there. I, I think I mixed, you know, I was there for the beginning of the mixes and I might have mixed a couple things, but you know it was really one of those. You know, mind crime didn't help my marriage at all. <laughs> just being gone that long and, and all that stuff, and yeah. you know, I, I just I wasn't going to put myself through that again. It was it was really like, okay, the songs are here. Jeff's got rough vocals on them. I'm happy with the production. I'm happy with the arrangements. Kelly have at it. You know, we we can't really work together. So this is, you know, get the recordings you like and, and get the mixes you like, and I'm fine. <laughs> now, you, you said, Jason, that none of the band wanted to work with you. Um, is that all four of them or just some of them? Well, it's one of those things where it's hard to tell those guys because they're incredibly polite to your face. <laughs> I, I don't know so much that it, that it was that they didn't want to work with me as much as that they just don't wanna re- didn't want to repeat those of mind crime do um you know so i spent time with with each one of them working on stuff and you know trying to trying to get them as involved as as they wanted to be but you know at that point you know i think there was just kind of a lot of disillusionment with being in the band and you know if someone else you know was going to pick up the slack and get the work done I think they were okay with that. Okay. Um, you know, it just, you know, Jeff was a thousand percent into it. And I would say that, you know, at different points, everybody was, had, had their moments of, of being excited about working on the record, but as like a, as a cohesive unit, there wasn't a band that was excited about making a record. Yeah. Were you, were you happier doing the American soldier concept? Because it was new, rather than retreading the Minecraft concept, it was a lot easier. <laughs> huh. I could just write. I could just write a song that was cool, and that was good enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It didn't have to. It didn't have to fit anything. I mean, some of those songs I already had sitting around. There's a song called uh, "At Thirty Thousand Feet" or something like that. Yep. I, I've written that like six years previous. You know, it was just an, an instrumental that I had sitting on a hard drive. Okay, and there's there's a few of those, you know. So, you know, Jeff heard him and, and went, "That works." <laughs> and, and you know, that, that I think that's part of the other issue in that band is that there's always that thing of you know Jeff has to hear a piece of music and be inspired by it to be able to write over it, and if you know that's not being provided to him, he can't do his job. And I think that Degarmo was kind of the dude who could bridge that gap you know who could take like one of one of wilton's songs 
and do something with it to make it appealing to Jeff or help with a melody or something. Uh-huh. And, and and so it really, you know, I, I know with, with with Mike, you know, the biggest gripe he had was that, you know, he felt like he was writing songs and auditioning for Jeff all the time. And he had piles of songs and a lot of them were good. They just weren't Queensryche songs. You know, they were a lot heavier than anything I've ever heard Queensryche do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that, that that's a direction that he probably wanted to explore. But, you know, what I found with Jeff is that you, you can't just really have a riff. You know, you need to have melodic content for him to build a melody over. His ear just doesn't work that way. Where you know, yeah. there's there's a guitar riff with palm mutes and stuff, and he can just come up with something. Um, you know, it, it just needs to be more of a fleshed out thing. Yeah, and you know, and you know, I know that Kelly's helped over the years doing that as well. You know, you, you can Kelly can write a damn song too. You know, mm-hmm. and so you know, I think that he's served that purpose in the past, and and it's worked well. It, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things, you know, like I literally grew up listening to him and it was, <laughs> it was a lot to, to grapple with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, of, you know, you, you, everyone has their, I guess it's almost a fantasy of how records are made, right? Like, yeah, we just all get into a room and great songs fly out and somebody <laughs> presses record and great records are made. It's you know, all bullshit, is it? it yeah, I mean, it, it never <laughs> works that way. <laughs> you know, sometimes you get lucky and you might get a song or two that way, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's you know, it's always a, it's always a struggle, and it's always biting heads, and it's always people disagreeing, and all of that stuff. And, and for me, it would have been, you know, with, with Queen Drake, it would have been a lot easier if they just got into a room and disagreed <laughs> and came to and, and came to some kind of resolution yeah no it's interesting jason you bring up there um you thought michael's stuff was too heavy when you listen to queen's rights catalog it's so varied anyway so like why wouldn't you want to go there i think mostly it's not that 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 he he didn't want to go there i think it was just kind of that listening to that stuff didn't inspire him to to write anything he actually jeff was the one that championed the murderer riff so I mean, Wilton came in and all he had was da 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 da. That mm-hmm. was it. <laughs> and Jeff said, "I I really like this rhythm. Can you do something with it?" <laughs> I said, "Sure." You know, I mean, so so I, I just think it's that thing of just needing to be inspired. You know, I, I'm not a singer, so I don't. Yeah, singers are fucking weird, man. You know, <laughs> LSD lead singers disease. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's yeah, it's always. There's always some weird shit with them, you know. It's like it's never like they can just show up and just be cool. <laughs> There's always something that's a problem. It seems like. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't think I've ever, ever worked with a singer that didn't have some kind of issue with something that was going on at some point. And I think a lot of it just comes from, you know, having to put yourself out there. Yeah. You know, it, and be that naked, so you, you kind of have this insecurity, so it's easier to kind of point out and go, "Well, I don't want to do this." Yeah. <laughs> Did you feel that? Jeff was more into this album because he it was new and he wasn't like retreading Minecraft like he did on, on, on the last one. You know, I, I, it, I really don't know. You know, I mean, he's, the dude has a poker face like a motherfucker, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's, he's one of those guys where, you know, he's just so even, you know, like, uh, you know, the house could be burning down around him and you kind of go like, okay, uh, guys, we should probably get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I just never seen him. You know, I, I, I like I said, I, I I've seen him smile. Okay. <laughs> but you know, past that, it, he's just you know he's he's one of those dudes. It's it's like he's always to me. It seems like there's just always something going on in his head. Okay. Like he's he's just always thinking about something. Um, what that is, I have no idea. Huh. <laughs> it could be what pair of socks he's going to wear that day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, kind of the most, the input that I would get from him would always be musical, you know, it would always kind of be, can you make it feel more like this? Can you do X, Y, or Z? Can we switch tempos? You know, very much always about the songs. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, for him, you know, I guess the, the one, the one bit of like information that was very helpful <laughs> that he gave me was that, you know, when he's writing, he's thinking about the live show. And so, you know, he, he's writing, uh, you know, planning what that's going to be like in the show, which is, you know, pretty unique <laughs> yeah i was going to say is that a good thing because half the album you're probably never going to play live yeah you know and, and but the other part of that is is you know will 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 this group of songs work with this group of songs from this other record yeah <laughs> so it goes it goes as deep as you know will it fit in the catalog and that's a you know that's a lot to consider you know like most singers that I work with are just happy enough to get a song out, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's been doing it for so long and, and I think he's always worked that way. And I think that, I think that things were just a lot easier when Chris was in the band because, you know, I think, I think they're, they're definitely very different dudes. Um, but I think that they had a way of communicating musically that, you know, Jeff hasn't found in anyone else. Yeah. Now, um, how did Damon Johnson get a co-write on a song on American Soldier? Um, he and Kelly wrote a song together, or or maybe Kelly just brought that in. He and Kelly are really good friends, and you know, it was one of those things. Jeff heard it, liked it, had an idea. We always needed songs. <laughs> okay. You know, for for me, you know, there's like this outside opinion from some hardcore fans that it's like. You know, I just tried to get as much of my music on there as I could. And that was so far from the truth. You know, I would have loved to show up and just produce a record and not have to have written anything. You know, it really came down to this is not getting done <laughs> if I don't do this. So, you know, when when Kelly brought in a song, if Jeff liked it, uh, I was all for it. <laughs> now, what, 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 if, um, what if Kelly or Michael or... or brought in a song and Scott Eddie and Michael liked it. It just wouldn't go anywhere. They wouldn't have a stay well, like three against one kind that, of thing. That did happen once. And, you know, Jeff worked really, really I forget the name of the song. Jeff worked really hard on it, put a rough vocal on it, and was, you know, he was happy with it. And I don't think they were happy with it. So you know, the dynamic is real weird. You know, they kind of do this thing where they're always kind of polite with each other and everyone else and then when they get home, <laughs> it, you know, the griping starts. And so there's just never really that moment of like, we all wrote this song and we want it on the record and that's the way it's going to be. They're not those dudes. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I very much would be, you know, like <laughs> if I'd been in the band that long, I'd say we're using my fucking song. <laughs> yeah. You did get the whole band to play on this, didn't you? Like it is Eddie. Scott and Michael that play oh, the oh yeah 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 so American Soldiers is entirely the band okay it's just you wrote the um, music yeah I mean so you know the extent of me playing on that might have been that, like on a on a songwriting demo I might have played like you know a rough bass track and and a, a rough rhythm guitar track but all that stuff got rewritten so you know as much as there was chord changes and an arrangement uh and you know rhythms you know eddie took all that stuff home and rewrote the bass lines you know you can definitely tell <laughs> like those are eddie jackson bass parts and you know with did the same thing and i think i think kelly might have played some guitar on there too some rhythm or something yeah so i mean that that record very much was that you know scott worked out his drum parts and Kelly recorded Scott. That was right around the time that I took off. You know, so I left for a while. I came back, and then I left again. Um, you know, I think I was because out there for four or five months or something for that record. Yeah, so I mean, that record is indicative of you know what they can do as a band. And I, to me, it's a, sonically it's a lot more cohesive than Mindcrime Two. And, and I think it's because you know those dudes played on it, and you know. Kelly mixed it and recorded things the way he wanted it. You know, it wasn't one dude doing it all. Yeah. And I think that that, those collaborations make all the difference in music, you know? Yeah. Now, now Jason, was it, when you wrote the music, was it easy to kind of let the guys interpret 
the songs because you've written them or were you going, no, I envisioned the song to go this way. Can you play this part? Or how did that work? Well, for me, you know, I looked at writing those songs as just giving them inspiration, right? So it's like, you don't have to worry about the arrangement. <laughs> you don't have to worry about the chord changes if you don't want to. But here's a, you know, here's a good jumping off point. Do what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's their band. You yeah. know, when, when when I get hired as a producer, you know, sure, like the label hires me or the management hires me or whatever, but more important than all that, you know, I want the artists to love their record. And so I, I have some ideas and, you know, I'll try and steer them, but that's it. You know, like I'm trying to get them as close as they can to what, to what they're envisioning in their head. Um, and so, you know, the situation like that, where just nobody's coming up with songs or something, shit, I'll, I'll throw out what I have and do whatever you want with it. Just make it good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, actually kind of relieved that, you know, it didn't go the way that the Mind Crime Two went. Yeah. When when you had the band in the studio, I'll I'll just wrap it up here, Jason. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. When when you have the band in the studio, um, is, is there a lot of laughing and joking amongst the four of them, or is it just strictly business at this stage that they can't wait to finish and get away from each other? You know, the times that that. You know, we were all in a room. It was, it was always a good time. You know, that that's like the weird, the weird thing about that band to me is that it seemed like they really enjoyed each other's company until, you know, I guess politics or problems or whatever popped up. You know, my 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 my, my you know bullshit opinion from having watched Doctor Phil a few times uh, is that you know they they just never really confront each other until it's you know, until it's way down the road and it's going to be ugly. Okay. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's my opinion. I I could be very, very wrong, but you know, that's the sense that I got of things just from hearing about the arguments and stuff, but never seeing them and and really only seeing people getting along. Yeah. So there's no, um, there's no, what you'd call mediator there. You know, one guy that's level headed and keeps everybody on an even keel. You know, it's funny because, <laughs> you know, the quietest dude, Eddie, is kind of that, you know, like, I think he's the most thoughtful anyways, you know, like, he's the guy that I'd always noticed that would go, well, I could see it from the other side and I can see it from my side, you know. Yeah. But, you know, that's, he's just one of those dudes, you know, he's a good dude. You know? Yeah. A lot of it's speculation, but, you know, I spent a lot of time around him. It's just that, you know, they're they're pretty private people, you know. As much time as I spent around him, I toured with him, made, should I think, five records or something. Uh, and I still really don't feel like I know any of them. <laughs> do, you, do you think that having Kelly there, and Kelly had been in the band before you, that they kind of went to him first? Oh, yeah. I, you know, so, I mean, Kelly and, and Jeff had a band called Myth back in the day. Mm-hmm. So they've been friends since, I think, high school. Yeah. I think, you know, Kelly's one of those guys where it's like, he can navigate this kind of stuff really, really well. And he works incredibly hard. And so I think there's a level of, of comfort, you know, knowing that at a minimum, <laughs> uh, you know, Kelly will do whatever needs to be done to get things finished. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't have years of experience, you know, with me doing that. And so I think there was always kind of a little bit of like, we're putting all of our eggs in this dude's basket. <laughs> Did you, do you think that the other guys resented you writing the material? No one ever expressed it to me. And like I said, you know, they all got a piece of the publishing on Mind Crime One, so you know, they make money off of songs they didn't write. Okay. <laughs> they can't be they can't be too angry. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, uh American Soldier, you know, I think that they all put their stamp on those songs, you know. Like to me I feel like those are, are my ideas, but they're all of our songs. Okay. All right. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be what they are without those dudes okay. doing their thing, you know? Yeah. So, so Jason, can we wrap this one up here? If that's okay with Absolutely. you? Absolutely.
Incredible. One of the worst performances of my career, and they never doubted it for a second. Like to shred? Well, you've come to the right place. So jack it in and fire it up. It's time for another edition of The Shred Chronicles. All right, it has definitely been a while since we've done a Shred Chronicles, but uh, this week I'm bringing you a sample off of my buddy Ethan Broche's latest one called Conspiracy. It was released about uh, two months ago. Good stuff in, uh, you know, just filled with track after track of great Shred from Ethan and uh, just got a great band with him as well, um, you know, mostly the, the guys he's been touring with. And he's even got uh, Satchel from Steel Panther doing a solo on uh, Tomb of the Gods as well. And of course, you know, he's got the uh, mix by Max Norman. Everybody knows Max. And uh, if that wasn't enough, he's got the artwork by the one, the only Derek Riggs. So there you go. A lot of shred and metal cred involved in that one. So what do you say we explore a track off of Conspiracy? So since I mentioned Tomb of the Gods, why don't we go with that one? This one uh, actually came together pretty interesting, according to Ethan, that he was uh, teaching a student about how to do uh, a couple of different modes, uh, or at least how to play a couple of different things in the Phrygian mode, and this whole thing just kind of popped into his head. Uh, actually, there's a couple of uh, different tracks on here that are actually come out of Ethan's teaching experience, but uh, in this case, why don't we take a listen to Tomb of the Gods off of Conspiracy. This is Ethan Roche, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Shred Chronicle Taste of Conspiracy by Ethan Broche. Definitely go out and pick yourself up a copy of that one. Really good stuff. You know, we're talking about 14 tracks of great guitar work and just really cool band interplay. But anyways, that is a wrap for this week. What's up next week is part two of our Jason Slater interview as he delves into uh, the last albums that he worked on with Queensryche. So more good stuff. You know, you think about the stuff that Jason tossed out this week. Uh, he delves even more into it next week, including a, a little bit deeper dive into the uh, the Dio experience as well. So that is what is in store for you next week right here on focus on metal but for now that's it stick a fork in it this puppy is done so for richie myself and everybody else here at focus on metal until we talk to you again next week remember focus on metal everything else is insignificant
still here. It's over. Go home.